I'm Emily Swinford, and with some help from my friend, Todd Studer at Todd Studer Productions, you are listening to Emily Sells Iowa, the podcast. Join me, my colleagues, clients, and friends as we discuss real life, real estate. Please note that the opinions and content of this podcast are my own and not necessarily the opinions of Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, any realtor associations, or any other persons or entities. If your property is listed with a real estate broker, please know that it is not our intention to solicit the offerings of other real estate brokers. If you're interested in buying or selling properties, what is happening in your community, or what's new in the real estate world, then this podcast is for you. And welcome to this episode of Emily Sells Iowa. I'm Todd Studer and Emily Swinford with Better Homes and Gardens, the Good Life Group in studio offices in Glenwood and Council Bluffs, Iowa. Emily, Good morning. Welcome back to the studio. Uh, it's always great to see you. And, and what I'm finding is when anytime that you come into the studio, I feel better when you leave just because you have so much energy. It's a lot of fun. Well, I don't know about that, Todd, if it's always good energy or not, but <laughs> we are having fun. We want to talk to you today about the process of when you represent a buyer, because your job can be completely different when you represent a seller. But if someone is looking to purchase a house. We want to talk about the process that they will experience and also some of what your role is with that. So uh, there's a lot of different things that go into it, obviously. Yeah. So when I meet somebody that wants to buy a house uh, and whether or not they're a first time home buyer or a second, third time home buyer, it, it doesn't matter. My primary goal is to get them into my office for a sit down to go over several items. And I kind of broke those down for us today. And I just, again, find myself repeating the same thing over and over to all of the buyers that I work with. So I thought it would be kind of uh, fun and uh, valuable to be able to just kind of go over some of those things that we discuss in those kind of first-time buyer consultations. I remember years and years ago when someone was buying a house, the idea of getting pre-approved wasn't really all that common, but now it's almost necessary, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, you know, there's a lot of different uh, ways that you can go about the process for buying a house. You know, some people say contact your agent first, or some people say contact a lender first, or go to an open house first. So there's there's not necessarily um, a one, two, three, four, you know, step program for home buying, but there are certain things that need to happen in a certain order for somebody to successfully be able to buy a home the smart way. Well, and, and oftentimes this type of purchase is not like going to the store and picking up groceries or things like that and making snap decisions. This type of purchase needs some thought and you're making often a lifetime decision and that can be intimidating. And I think that that is where uh, someone like you and your profession it becomes so beneficial. Yeah. And I think that's one thing to really know and understand when you do hire a realtor, whether you're a, a buyer or a seller, is that, um, you know, I think some people think we just, we sell houses, we show houses all day long, and that is a hundred percent part of it. But the truth of the matter is you are hiring us to represent you. And the state of Iowa um, requires that we act as a fiduciary for you, which means that we are obligated to act in your best interest and that we are truly representing you as a party in the transaction. So it's it's not just about selling or about showing pretty houses or you know doing open houses. There's a lot more that goes into that uh, whole side of things where we're actually legally representing you as a fiduciary. Well, you kind of touched on it uh, just a minute ago. So if I know that I want to buy a house, 
Do I call you first or do I call the lender first? So you can, but if you do call me, what I'm going to do is uh, is a couple different things. I'm going to try to schedule that kind of sit-down buyer's consultation that we just kind of briefly touched on, and then I am going to encourage you to contact a lender. And there's a lot of times where the lender and I might sit down with you, you know, side by side. So you kind of get things rolling with them on the phone. And then we sit down with you together so that you have the real estate side and the financial side. uh, All kind of all those questions can be asked at once because they do play on each other. So a lot of people ask me where they should start um, when they're contacting a lender. And what I tell people is start with a referral. So start with uh, if where you do your everyday banking. If you have somebody there that you like, know, and trust, contact them and they might have a mortgage loan officer that they can refer you to. I've got several great loan officers that I'm happy to you know, send refer to you depending on what your specific needs are. Uh, or talk to your family and friends and see who they've been happy with. And so that's kind of the, the starting point. But it's not just about getting pre-approved. Anybody can go online, fill out an online application, they spit out a pre-approval. And then a lot of people bring that spit out pre-approval to me and they're like, ah, here we go, we're ready to go. And then I say, well, what type of financing are you pre-approved for? Because we're going to need to know that when we write the offer. Okay, you're pre-approved for conventional financing. How much uh, money are you wanting to put towards your down payment? I don't know how much I need to put down. So there's there's a lot more that we need other than just that pre-approval letter to be able to write an offer. We need to know what type of financing you are going to move forward with um, because there are certain houses you can and can't buy based on what type of financing you're using, how much money you're going to need up front, uh, who's going to pay your closing costs, and, and all sorts of those specific items that you just can't get by typing in an online application. So I always recommend having a sit-down meeting with a lender who's going to go over the pros and cons of, of all of your options, because a lot of people have a lot of options. Well, and talking about lenders means we're talking about money. How much do I need to have when I come see you? That's a great question. So there's, um, <laughs> there's when you buy a house, there's out-of-pocket expenses, and there's upfront costs, and then there's uh, closing costs. So not everything, you, you know, you make an offer for $100,000, you don't have to come up with your down payment immediately. Uh, you have to be able to prove that you have that down payment or that you're going to be able to make that down payment at the closing table, but it's not due up front. So for upfront expenses, uh, certain things that you should plan on, and now there are, of course, exceptions to this rule, so this is very general <laughs> conversation, but you're going to want your earnest deposit up front. So that's your good faith money. Uh, it's money that when you write your offer, you say, hey, I'm going to pay you so and so, or so much for your house. And I'm also with that going to put down uh, this deposit just to prove to you that one, I have money in the bank, that I'm serious. Um, and that if the offer falls through just because I change my mind, uh, that you have some sort of security there. And so that amount that you have to put down for an earnest deposit is going to vary depending on where you're buying your house and the type of house that you're buying and the price point of that house. So that's something that you would want to work with your realtor with, you know, one-on-one is to, to determine how much money you would need for that earnest deposit. Um, secondly, any inspections, once a deal comes together, any inspections that you intend to have a buyer are typically going to be at the expense of the buyer. And so if you have a home inspection, you want to set money aside for that. If you have a radon test, you want to set money aside for that. And hopefully we can get a home inspector on here who can explain what those different types of inspections entail. And then a lot of times people don't uh, necessarily plan on this, so they're not ready for it. So a lot of lenders will charge the appraisal fee up front. This is considered a closing cost. So if the seller is paying your closing cost in your negotiation, they might agree to pay for that appraisal. However, a lot of the lenders are going to charge that appraisal fee up front. So if your appraisal costs four to $600, you are going to have to make that 
payment. And then when the seller pays your closing costs, you are credited credited for it at that time. And also speaking of money, a lot of things that go into what the ultimate cost may be out of pocket is going to have to do with where my credit is at. I'm, I'm an amateur. I don't understand the things that you understand. So what I would be telling myself is, well, the better I can make my credit, the better interest rate that I'm going to be able to get. So I need to start diving in during the process and just see if I can't continuing to make it better through the whole way. There's a lot of myths out there. So you do not have to have 20% down to buy a home. In fact, um, in Iowa and Nebraska, in some of our rural areas, we have a program where you can put 0% down. And um, the veterans uh, loan programs, you can put 0% down oftentimes. Um, and then even conventional financing, there are three, five, 10, 15, 20% down programs for even conventional financing. And so everybody is going to... When they go to their lender, the lender is going to say, okay, you're qualified for, say, FHA and for conventional. And, and I'm not the money person. I, I know a little bit about it, so I can send people in the right direction. But the lender ultimately is going to tell you what your options are. And there's pros and cons to all of those options. So you want to sit down with them so you have a better understanding of how much money you're going to need, one, up front, like we just went over, and then two, when you do sit down at the closing table. I think one of the keys to this is you don't need to have all of the information before you come to your uh, office and, and sit down and, and find out what's involved with buying a house because there's going to be a learning process through the whole thing. And everyone uh, has to go through that. And plus, things are changing all the time. So as we're talking right now, uh, you know, if somebody's listening a year from now to this episode, that things might be a little bit different as far as what's available, new programs coming online all the time, other ones dropping off. That's why it's so important to deal with professionals. Right. And grant programs that are available or that refund certain times of the year. Um, and so there's, it just depends and everybody is different. And Every transaction is different. And, and so it is really important to sit down with the lender and know exactly what you're getting yourself into. A lot of terms involved uh, with this and a lot of descriptions. What's a purchase agreement? What is that? And what should I be looking for when I see one? Yeah, so that is one of the things that I do with my buyers when we sit down initially. Um, and I, the first thing I say is, I'm probably going to overshare. You, you might already know a lot of this, but my biggest fear is assuming that you know what you are signing and then one, two, three, you know, months to years down the road, you're mad at me because you didn't understand what you were signing. And so I go through the purchase agreement, uh, or I, I try to go through the purchase agreement line by line with my buyers before they ever even make an offer. And, and it benefits everybody for, for a couple of reasons. So number one, uh, I can sleep at night knowing that you know what you're signing and that you're not going to be mad at me down the road. Number two, you have a uh, very good understanding of what, again, you're getting yourself into prior to signing a legal contract. And then number three, when it comes time to make an offer, and this is this is really why I like to do these, is when you walk into that house that you want to buy, it's, it's, uh, it's an emotional response. And so say, just for easy numbers, that house is listed at 100,000. Well, now all you're thinking about is I want this house. How can I get this house? Should I pay 105 for it? Should I pay 95? How long has it been on the market? The only thing you're thinking about is how am I going to get this house and what am I going to what am I going to pay for it? So then when we sit down to write the offer and I'm asking you about do you want to have a radon test? You're like, 
completely overwhelmed because all you're thinking about is, I want this house, how much do I have to pay for it? Or when we go over how to, how we're going to clear title, you know, we do we need an abstract? Do we need title insurance? And you're looking at me like, I don't know, I just want the house. <laughs> you know, it's very, very overwhelming to work out all of those details when we're trying to get you the house. And so I like, I like to go over all that stuff so that when it comes, you know, game time, it's go time, let's make an offer. It's Bing, bang, boom. What are you going to pay for it? How much are you going to put down for your earnest? Do you want to have a home inspection? You already know what you're getting, you're, what you're doing. You already know what all this stuff means. And it just makes it go so much smoother and you can make your offer faster. So you are dealing on the factual side where the buyer is really dealing more on the emotional side. I've been through the buying process. I know what it's like. I know that when you walk through a house, what are you doing? You're trying to see if you can imagine yourself in this space. And that does create that emotional attachment to it. And you can start to forget all of the details on the back end that still need to be taken care of because visually you're already there. You're ready to move in the next day, but there's so many more things that have to happen in the meantime. Yeah. And you don't want to be thinking about what is radon when you're trying to get a house. That's that's not fun. It's not going to you know be the determining factor whether or not you get it a lot of times. Um, and so we need to already be familiar with what those different aspects of the purchase agreement are before you ever even make the offer. It just makes things easier for you and for me. And I think a lot of times people are resistant to sit down with the lender and go over their options or sit down with me and go over the purchase agreement because they think we're going to try to pressure or sell you, you know, sell you something and that that's our goal. And that's not true. Our, our goal is truly to make it go better and smoother and faster and hopefully, you know, save you some money in the, you know, in the meantime, but our goal is to make things go smoother for you. Well, and saving some money, you're, let's say you're representing me. I'm the home buyer. How am I going to pay you? How, how is, you're working for me. So what compensation am I giving you? How does that work? Yeah, good question. So, um, you know, every real estate agent um, and brokerage, I, I, you know, can create their own their own structures. So I can't speak to that. But in general, you're going to hear a lot of times that it's quote unquote free to have a buyer's agent. And there's actually a lot of um, a lot of speculation over of over that verbiage coming down from a national level right now because you know, is it? free to have a buyer's agent. So what what you're really saying when you say it's free to have a buyer's agent is that as a buyer, you don't have to pay anything. We talked about costs earlier. You don't have to pay anything out of pocket for the buyer's agent because typically the seller is going to negotiate the entire fee for real estate services in their listing contract. And then most times, assuming, you know, we're speaking in general here, so that like we said earlier, there's always exceptions, but typically the buyer's agent is going to, or the buyer's brokerage, actually, commissions go to the brokerages, not to the agents, but the buyer's brokerage is going to uh, be paid out of that pot that the sellers uh, had already planned to pay, you know, when they sign their listing contract. And so it's it's not necessarily free. It's just, it's worked into the seller's net. And we talk a lot about uh, net offers. That's when we do sit down and we we kind of go through the offer line by line. I'm going to say, you're going to say, okay, I want the seller to pay all my closing costs. Okay. Well, good thing you've talked to a lender because now we know that you're going to have 3000 worth versus 6000 in closing costs. And that, that's a big deal because say you're buying a house for 100000 and you ask that seller to pay 5000 for closing costs. That seller's netting 95000 and now whether or not that's a good offer, I, I, that's for you and your real estate agent to determine based on the specific situation. But it's important to know that that $5,000 you're asking for in closing costs is coming right off the seller's bottom line. 
as well as the real estate commission they've already negotiated with their agent. So in a way, although you're not having to pay any money out of pocket for your buyer's agent, it's already worked into the costs that are going to be paid regardless. The other thing to keep in mind is that uh, oftentimes I'll hear people say, you want me to pay more for the house because you work on commission and that commission is paid out based on the sales price of the house. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that there are some shady happenings out there, but personally, I can I can speak to the fact that whether or not you pay 100000 for the house or $105,000 for the house, uh, ultimately, that is, that is not true. That's going to equate to probably around $100 and you paying $5,000 more for a house so that we can make an extra hundred dollars just is is not worth that. Again, we're a fiduciary, so it is our responsibility to work in your best interest. All of this wonderful information, and it's it's really only the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to learn. That is why uh, Emily Swinford, it has the job that she does, and it's why that she wants to represent you. You know what, Todd? I have one more thing. Okay, you bet. <laughs> now that we're talking, I had a, I had a very uh, bad experience this week. So one other thing that I do want buyers to remember is that once you get pre-approved, that does not mean that the lender is not going to verify your credit and your income, and they can do that up until the date of closing. So I have had transactions fall apart because the buyer gets pre-approved. They buy the house. Everything's solid. I mean, even call the lender. Yeah, they're rock solid. They make money. You know, they've they've got little debt. They're pre, pre-approved. And then their car breaks down and they unknowingly go trade a car. Or this will surprise people. Don't pay off your credit card. Even if you're doing something good for your credit or something that you think is good for your credit, any major changes, still talk to your lender until, I mean, up until closing because they can pull your credit the day before the day of closing. And if something has changed and you don't qualify, you might not close. And at the very least, it's going to reset the button on the lender side, even on a positive change. They got to relook at everything again. So it could delay stuff. It, even it best can. case scenario could delay it. Yeah. And you know, we've we've had the success stories where these types of things happen. And luckily the sellers are willing to wait and we're able to close a week later. And then I've had other calls where we can't close that day. And it never closes. And wow. so uh, it's just, uh, it's, that's never a, a good situation for anybody involved. No, absolutely not. Emily Swinford, Better Homes and Gardens, a Good Life group with offices in Glenwood and Council Bluffs, Iowa. The podcast is called Emily Sells Iowa. Always fun, Emily, anytime that you come in. I certainly appreciate your time and uh, great, great information. And folks can find you by just searching Emily Sells Iowa in about a dozen different ways. <laughs> <laughs> how to contact you. Thanks, Todd. So. I just started TikTok this week, so now you can find me on TikTok. Wow. Okay. My 13-year-old was very excited about my new TikTok account. So. Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk after Keeping we get done here. Times. <laughs> all right. We invite you to uh, listen uh, to all of the episodes that we've already recorded and uh, watch out for new episodes coming out weekly. It's Emily Sells Iowa. So until the next time, take care. 